Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found out, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodhart. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's never been paid by boosters to make any choices. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Boosters need to be paying me. I have some things to say. Boosters, get my mentions. Uh, I, I will gladly take money for what I should say on this podcast, unlike... Coach Sarkeesian, I, 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 I will take it. Pay me and tell me what you want me to say. You got it. Just uh, name and image likeness doesn't even apply. I'm not a student. So uh, just just send them ducats my way. I have said it for a long time that I can be bought. <laughs> I can be bought in, in inexpensively, too. It doesn't take – I've got three children. So it doesn't take a whole lot for Gerald Goodrich to be like, yeah, I'll do that for an <laughs> amount of money. And it's fine. You got to do what you got to do to make ends meet. Three kids are really – three boys – Tell you how much milk I go through in a month. You'd be shocked. But we're not here to talk about my three young children. We're here to talk about our 22 young 22 men children. That got, beat, <laughs> that got beat like some children. No, we're here to talk about the Texas Longhorns um, going on the road. And I don't, I don't even know how to describe this, Kyle. I'm running out of ways to say this was a disappointing outing from Texas. And I'm also running out of ways to say... I can see the breaks of the game and the inches that Texas needed to win this game on the field. Yeah. Those are the two like most frustrating things because you know what, Kyle? We've been saying that for like eight <laughs> years now because it was there under Charlie. It was there every year under Tom sure. Herman. And now once again, it's like you get 19 yards on third and 18. It's right there. I'm just at a loss for words and it's you know unfortunate because, well, you and I are here to, to give out words, but just – Sitting after that game, it was just another moment of disbelief where I'm like, I could see the moments where Texas lost the game, mm -hmm. and if one or two things go the other way, then we're looking at a completely different season yeah. 
but specifically, it's a very different outcome in Morgantown. I thought about that too. Actually, I thought about the the pick six against Oklahoma State, and I thought about the the, the second quarter drops and fumbles and interceptions, sadly by the same player, but against Baylor, and just like the amount of like, ah, oh, man, if we could just erase that drive or that play or make that thing, you know, execute that. There was a couple in this one, as there there often are more than just one in these these relatively close games that we keep losing um there were a couple that if they could have gone the other way i felt like we had some drops in this one as well that were just kind of heartbreaking yep. uh, but i agree with you jail to me the the not one but two third and 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 more than 15 where your defense just comes out and gets good stops uh, specifically the and we'll go into more detail here in a moment but the sequence of events where hudson card threw the single best ball since high school like that we have seen him throw as a longhorn just a, an absolute beauty dropped inch perfect into a, a streaking Xavier worthy for a touchdown. And then the next two plays after a kickoff into the end zone for a touchback, the next two plays were sack sack third and 18. Like you basically had four perfect plays happened. The pass, the touchback, the sack, the sack, like <laughs> everything that you want. All you have to do is do anything. You don't have to get a sack. You don't have to break it up. Let them have 10. Fine. Just don't give them all 18. And, the momentum shifts entirely. It's an entirely different game if that goes a different way on that first one um, that it happened. And, and obviously, of course, they they converted it. And here we are. But, you know, it, does it matter? Does I would have loved to win this game, sure. But does it matter drastically? Is, is, is there any different opinion on this season being subpar if they would have eked out a win versus lost in this one? I mean, is anyone's mind changed i would have loved to win it i want to win every football game you can even when you're hurt and you're dinged up and you're not at your best and all that we've said it when you're clunkers whatever Uh, a road game in morgantown is hard even when we're a good team if you can remember what those look like but you know um (laughs) it is sad i don't mean to say that these games are meaningless or you know that you shouldn't listen to this podcast for in-depth analysis breaking down uh kansas state our next opponent or anything like that but um yeah i mean it, it because it has happened so heartbreakingly so many times, it almost feels like this weird uh, trauma cycle where it's just like, oh yeah, there we just threw the game away. We got to watch another quarter, but I bet that'll come back to hurt us. And 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 it did. Well, just to push back on you a little bit there, like if Texas wins this game and they win next week, six and six is way better than than you're right. Even five and five and seven because six and six gets you to a bowl. You get another week. You're of, right. Of practice so like yes there there was um this could have salvaged is not the right word but um, stop the bleeding it would have at least allowed a little bit of polish on the turd mm. is the only way i could say it like because this has been an absolute turd like it just there's no two ways texas football it. 21 an unpolished turd <laughs> Absolutely. This pig has no lipstick on whatsoever. Uh, But let's dive in specifically. Casey Thompson started the game, got the start, um, got a relatively early hook. He was grabbing at the thumb, but again, you play, you got to play well. So 4-14 for 29 yards and an interception late in the game after he came back in because Hudson Card. I'm just going to go ahead and say this. That is for all the times that people give Texas players hell for taking cheap shots. Like that is something that I would have fought somebody for on a football field. Like that is something that I would have hit another, like toss me out. Don't let me play senior night. I don't care. You take my quarterback's leg out that far after the game, after the throw. 
And we're going to have to, you're going to have to separate us. Like that's, it, it is what it is. But Hudson Card played his best game of his season and or career. It hit Xavier Worthy on the prettiest pass I think we've seen all all year, much like regardless of quarterback who was playing, completed 10 of 16 for 123. And then that touchdown to Xavier Worthy on that beautiful double move. Worthy again for his effort, seven catches for 80 yards and a 52 yard touchdown. Targeted 12 times in the game, uh, only managed to come down with seven of them, but still an incredible outing for Worthy. Uh, Keelan Robinson got made the most of his time, nine carries for 111 yards. That dude made 49 yards, happened real, real fast. Like, he he scored that that long touchdown, the essentially fifty yarder, and I assumed it was like yeah. thirty because it happened so darn yeah. fast. Uh, but an incredible game for him. Roshan played as well as well, uh, fifteen for seventy seven and a touchdown. But like the offensive line seems to be the the heroes and the story of this game. Because and we have to pause here because you and I have have crapped on them a lot yeah. this year, and so we have to pause and say they played really really well and gave gave the offense a chance to succeed. Yeah, I mean that that's a that's a great point Gerald is is if we are going to sit here and talk about woe is the line um every week and and how that contributes to the struggles then we, then we have to give some credit um when they play a good game and and look we said in our preview that the the two areas that would determine this game were you know the front four for West Virginia and the success they would have uh, against Texas um, in, in the offensive line and both in the run in the pass game, how that would show up. And then, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the, you know, getting pressure on Jared Diggy and the defensive line's performance. But um, yeah, I, I think this was one of the keys of the game. And I think Texas ultimately won it, right? It, it, there were some plays, there were some yeah. negative tackles for loss plays like that. Um, there were a couple hurries, but again, that's a really talented line. And if you go back and watch it, a majority of their, their, kind of busted plays where someone got through the line where there was a big push was just seeing a guy who's a Sunday player uh, in, in stills who, you know, when they pulled a guard or pulled someone, he's just so fast at his size that if he sees someone pull, he just crashes into the backfield immediately. It's like, if you pull away from him, you're not going to get a tight end over there in time. He's just, it's, he's really good at it. I mean, again, that's that skill just in itself. If he didn't do anything else would translate to Sundays. Um, But it wasn't, there were a few where, you know, players got pushed and bull rushed, but that happens to literally every line across the country. No one wins every battle. You didn't yeah. have the getting beat on the edge with just a straight bull rush that caused a sack and a fumble like we did twice last week against Kansas. You didn't have, you know, just a consistent – I thought Jake Majors had a really tough challenge ahead of him, and I thought he played a pretty good game in the in the center. You didn't see our tackles on replays, which is good, right? Offensive tackles, you don't want to be on replays because that typically means you're getting beat by a pass rusher or blown off at the, at the edge. So um, you didn't see that. I mean, ultimately – when you're not thinking about, when you're not talking about, there was the one sack for a two-yard loss and, and four hurries on the game, but ultimately you're, you weren't talking about the line a lot. There weren't holding penalties or false starts or things that killed drives on third downs. You know, it, it, They didn't get beat on three-man rushes with a stunt. You know, the, A lot of the things that we had yep. been saying all year, we've also kind of probably said, Gerald and I cautiously the past couple of weeks, and Gerald, to his credit, not so cautiously came out and said it that they are an improved unit and Kyle Flood's coaching is 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 setting in for kind of the the, the ceiling of talent that we have on here and they're they're forming into, you know, an, an okay unit compared to where they were. I think we should take the time to celebrate that. It, it's incredibly unfortunate that Bijan Robinson doesn't get to run behind an offensive line that's doing the things that they were doing, especially in uh the the 
second, third, and fourth quarter uh, against that really good West Virginia defensive line. Yeah, and I mean, I think the the numbers that jump out to me is on the ground, Texas created four line yards per rush, which is well above where you need to be, 2.4 open field yards per rush. And the number that really jumps out at me is that West Virginia creates a havoc play with their front seven on about 12% of downs on the year. And they were sitting at right at 7% of downs on against Texas, which is, again, that is an incredible number because that's that's one fewer that's fewer quarterback hurries that's fewer you know uh, plays getting batted down at the line that's fewer quarterbacks having to scramble and roll out and so the like we cannot we we've, we've dumped on the offensive line a lot we've been doing it since the the preseason preview yeah. we have to pause and say like a lot of the reason why the Texas offense was able to be successful why Hudson Card was able to settle yeah. in and play like the player we know he can is because he didn't have to get happy feet he squeezed the ball still a little bit too much early but as soon as he started completing a couple of passes in a row you saw his shoulders drop a little bit you saw his um his ball the ball come out with that lightning release that we've seen and we saw what the the flashes of brilliance and the reason why honestly Hudson Card probably won the job to start the year all of those things started to show up because the offensive line was able to get him settled and get him settled in in the game and that to me is the biggest thing we have to talk about and and I'll just go ahead and say it if Texas can land a couple of key players in the offseason, I am very curious to see if this offensive line can turn into turn from an okay unit to a good unit and potentially a strength within the next season or season and a half, because that'll be the difference for Texas and Sarkeesian moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And again, the, the as, as Sark said in his presser, the, the group that he's confident with that we're all confident with is that running back room. So you give a line to the, the stable of backs that we have and, and again, some potential recruits to keep that pipeline flowing is all of a sudden, you know, you have a very dangerous offense that opens up your big play receivers and, and a guy like Xavier Worthy, who we talked about, uh, had 12 targets on this one. He now has 95 on the season with a game to play. Um, leads all freshmen at least. I couldn't find the full targets list. Um, it completely, but all freshmen uh, of note, he he leads. So I mean, the, playmakers like that also benefit, like like Gerald alluded to, with that speed and that ability and double moves to uh, pull those off when the quarterback has three to four full seconds uh, to to you know let that that route develop so the quarterback can put some air under it and, and have his feet set to to throw an accurate ball. So it will benefit all things. I, I, again. Keelan Robinson, nine touches for 111 is is elite. He had a catch for 16 as well. Roshan Johnson gutted it out and looked like, you know, as coaches and, and fans and observers and teammates and everyone has said, the heart and soul of the team, uh, 15 for 77 and a touchdown. I mean, I, I think ultimately the offense, if you take the first quarter out, was pretty good. And, and if this was four, three games ago, right? If it wasn't at the end of the streak where it feels like half the viewers had checked out and, and people's hearts are just hardened because of you can only take so much sadness. I think there'd be some pretty incredible outrage, Gerald, about that hit exactly what you talked about because, yeah, Thompson goes out. So then Card has to come back in. They're both hurt. <laughs> and the game, which again, this is a one score game, like one possession game. They they are driving at the end uh, to try to tie it up. Um and, and, and Card can't even put enough weight on his leg at that moment to be able to hit, like, you know, a five-yard wide-open running back, uh, you know, d- down the field. It just – it was tough, right? And the, it 
absolutely awful. Casey Thompson came back in because of, like you said, and threw that interception when he wasn't right and kind of was going for the home run. But I do want to talk a little bit about Casey Thompson because to have seven touchdowns and and play the way he did again against Kansas, sure, uh, but gut that out and then come back this week, something just is clearly not good. You saw him wincing in pain on that thumb, but four for 14 for 29 yards is bad. He was one of nine on all of his passes beyond the line of scrimmage, Gerald. Of his completions, three of them were screen passes or passes behind the line of scrimmage. One of nine, and that pass was four yards down the field. So there's clearly something off, something not right um, with him, and I hate that. There's one more game that either of these guys who aren't 100% uh, might have to, to come in, and we'll talk in our preview about Kansas State what that looks like. But um, good for Hudson Card coming in and, and looking pretty good. Um, if, if we could just erase quarter one and what happened in quarter two was the start of the game. I think Texas wins that game, right? The, the way it was trending, the momentum, the way both units were playing, um, not that our defense was elite, but uh, I, I think, you know, the way the offense was trending, at least that they, Texas probably wins that game. If there was one more, if those three quarters, the two, three, and four were one, two, and three, I think Texas, mm-hmm. Texas is there. Absolutely. And, and I think it's the first time we can say that it feels like Texas competed through the end, the final whistle um, and did not have that, that massive collapse in the end, especially on offense. And so we'll see more about that uh, this week, who, who, whoever the heck the quarterback is, whoever the heck the running backs are, but we'll see more about the offense in our preview show on Thursday. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Defensively, it was another rough outing. It's the only way I could say this. And we're closing in on, and I'm just going to go ahead and say this, and it is what it is. I've, I've looked it up. One of the historically worst defensive performances in school history. They're already one of the worst run defenses in school history, and they're likely going to be one of the worst pass defenses in school history yardage-wise. Um, 459 yards given up to West Virginia, a team that we we caught, we said it, had not been great on offense, but the Texas defense has been the cure for the common offense over the last several weeks. 252 on uh, 252 yards on rushes over 10 yards or passes over 15. We call those explosive plays where I come from. Nine tackles for loss and three sacks by the Texas defense, though. Got in the backfield quite a bit. But third downs once again proved to be an absolute bugaboo mm-hmm. for Texas. 12 of 20 on third down. Three and five on third and longer than nine, which is at 10 plus, right? Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Jarrett Dagey had one of, if not the best performances of his career, uh, 290 and three for him. Letty Brown did what he did, 158 and a touchdown. Again, the Texas defense looked good in spots. And that's, again, is the hardest thing for me, right? Like I tweeted it out from our show account on that third and 19. Like if I was Trevondre sweat, I would have picked up a defensive back and swung them at another defensive (laughs) back for allowing that play to happen after the front does its job twice. You let, I'm going to pick up and whatever you 
pick up Colin Schooler and swing him at somebody else, whatever, right? But like that to me is just absolutely insane to see. I just don't get it. How do you let that happen? Okay, they were without Josh Thompson. Sure. I, Jade Barron may have been our best defensive back, and, and he's a young guy. He actually was pro football. Focus was our highest graded player on the defense. That's the second time in three weeks, so good for the young kid, I guess, taking advantage of the opportunities. Um, but, you know, yeah, it, it, I, I honestly felt like if you look at the passing chart, it's it's pretty wild. Daigie was 7, 11, seven for 11 on passes over 15 yards. That's really good. Um, he was also elite on short passes, uh, basically – um, you know, the, the, the five yard ish routes, it was the middle routes that Texas did okay on, but basically what you're looking at on those short routes is those crossing, which kind of comes on the linebackers as much as the defensive backs, but those crossing routes, anytime they ran mesh for five to six yards, it was a guaranteed completion. There was no way that anytime I saw the receivers start to cross in that manner, I just assumed it was either a first down or just whatever chunk of yardage because they couldn't stop it all day. Um, you know, yep. there was times when our linebackers on third down looked were looking at the sideline because they were confused. Like, it just looked like, sure, it was our defensive backs, but also, again, DeMarvin Overshone was a uh, using case of emergency kind of hurt um, player and and didn't play a ton. And, and Luke Brockermeyer, to his credit, has played every down. You know, it's come off occasionally, but played in every game and played most downs for the defense. But, again, th- there is a little bit of a ceiling on what – uh, he could do there, so it, it felt like that was just feast, and, and I'm not letting, by any means, the secondary off the hook, because it just felt like whether it was a, a five-yard to eight-yard kind of zone, or when it, it was one of the deep ones when they sat deep at the 12 to 15-yard, they just didn't communicate uh, when crossers were coming through, when they were in zone to hand over correctly, and when they were in man, it just looked like they were giving too much up, and they just didn't look like a unit that's cohesive and together. And sure, okay, your best cornerback's out, but it just looked like any time Deggie dropped back to pass, and again, no besmirching on my part uh, of Jared Deggie. He leads the Big 12 in, in passing yardage, but as our friends at the Smoking Musket laughed, he's the only Big 12 quarterback who's played every game for like any any <laughs> team in the conference. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he's not a great quarterback. The, he, West Virginia fans absolutely do not want him to be their quarterback. When he said he's coming back for another year, every West Virginia fan I know groaned. You know, he's not in, – in most it's not because he doesn't have upside. It's the consistency and the accuracy. Oftentimes he will just miss people. He will just make a bad read. He will hold on to the ball too long like we talked about. Getting pressure on him and sacking is, is how you stop that offense. But um, Texas certainly made him look – as good as he has, right? Is is as good as he has this year, and and not only the the two ninety and three touchdowns, Cyril, but the zero turnovers. That's a big deal because Jared Daigie almost gives you one or two a game. Yeah, I mean, we we both kind of bet on it that that it would happen, and that just it absolutely did not happen. And it it was there was one that almost happened that I think would have caused. Um, would have again it was a butterfly effect. A butterfly flapped its wings, and Texas lost the game. But it seemed like it. I think the disconnect for me is uh, there's a disconnect between level two and level three of the defense when they're in zone. There's a gap between the zones that nobody is filling, and that's not by design. And I think you, you mentioned them playing man. I honestly think they looked better playing yeah. man just yeah. because it's it's it, you don't have to worry about handoffs. You don't have to worry about anything. It's like, I got to run with this guy. And, and that being said, Texas has some liabilities mm-hmm. in man coverage, mm-hmm. and we'll try not to single out guys. But uh, there are some players that maybe are better in other spots 
we're not going to single anybody out, but you know, in spite of that, if you if you're going to play two high safeties, then I'd rather you play two high man. That with what Texas yeah. has at this point, yeah. it just seems like a better fit. I don't. I don't. They're still, again, in week 11, week 12 of the season, not able to make handoffs between level two and level three, and really even between like the corners and the safeties in those zones. And so I just don't necessarily know. It's like you, if you know, if you talk about defensive coverage, everybody's on the same rope, right? And it feels like there's just a big gap in the middle of the rope. <laughs> and I don't know why, like, how do, how, how do we tie it together? Where, where, do we need to do a slip knot? Do we need to melt the rope and get it together? Is it nylon? I don't know. But like, like in the off season, whatever happens, we have to figure out how do we close the gap in the rope because that's the only way this thing is going to get better next year. And yeah, I, I completely agree with that, Gerald. I think you know getting consistent pass rush was a thing that Steve Sarkeesian addressed when in his like introductory presser about how they came in and got edge rushers because they felt that was the when he looked at the roster the first time that was the single biggest glaring weakness and and it shows up still right they had three sacks in this one which is an historic game for ut to get that many sacks in a game against a team that gives them up right daggy holds on to it too long their 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 line is not a particularly elite pass blocking unit um they got three that's great but again two of those were on the same try that they gave up a third and 18 they're back bricking the when when the line doesn't get pressure and and the quarterback has time to pick a defensive apart that's back breaking when the line does get sacks like you said and then the the secondary gives up the long conversion that's back breaking so they're finding ways to like instead of complimentary football to 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 play insulting football i don't know whatever the opposite is <laughs> if not complimenting it's, it, it, I like it, it is insulting um it's insulting in so many ways it's offensive it is, stop it. it is offensive defense for sure um it is uh, you know but it, again beginning of the season some of those warts were papered over when you looked at the way they bent but didn't break but look at the past couple of weeks they have not made a red zone stop right this week west virginia four for four for four touchdowns and when we're talking about one possession games, that defense could make up for a lot of yards, could make up for some issues if they were able to do that. Again, if they could just get stops on third downs, the fact that that in this one, West Virginia had more third down conversions of greater than, than 10 yards than Texas had total third down conversions, you know, um, if they could just have gotten off on third downs and they could have just made at least one stop in the red zone, done something, held him to a field goal, you feel like this could have been a different game. It was absolutely so, so close uh, to being a different game. But again, officially tired of talking about it on special teams. It was a low penalty game, at least for one team. Uh, Texas had four penalties for 41 yards. West Virginia had three for 19. Should have probably had one mm -hmm. more for 15, but that's neither here nor there. Cameron Dicker continues to prove that Dicker, the punter is probably the better, like not that he's bad at kicking, but his punting, he's been one of the better punters uh, in the country this year. He had four punts for an average of 44.2 with a long of 55. He flipped the freaking field a couple of times with uh, allowing one return yard uh, and one running into the kicker happened as well uh, on the Texas defense. Again, that's part of the issue with being aggressive when you're coming to block stuff. And uh, that's a feature, not a bug. Yep. I'll just go ahead and yep. say it. that's going to happen. And if, if every three times you miss one, you run into one kicker and you block one for a touchdown, that's positive in my yeah, book. I mean, Texas leads the nation in block punts and they have one that was, uh, you know, a nose hair offside 
from Keeneland or they'd have another one. And, and so, yeah, they almost got one here where they, they had a running into the kicker. I'm not mad about that. That's that's seeing that your your offense needs a boost, seeing that your defense, when they get a stop, you need that little jump start to make things happen, right? That You mentioned it when we were talking about it during the game, the back-to-back uh, forcing punts when it was a one-score game at the beginning of the game, and then both of those were met with three and outs, right? Texas didn't get a first down until the, the second quarter, you know? It... It, it's it's you, you got to go for it on special teams. You got to get that little jolt. It's the same reason, like we said, guys have tried to return things out of the end zone on kickoffs that they might not necessarily need to. But you're trying to get a jolt when you're you know there have been times when our offense has stagnated this season for extended periods, i.e. the first quarter of this game. Um, there have been times when our defense looked good and then went two quarters in a row where they couldn't you know stop a stop a little league or your peewee team. You know, so consistency is the key. We are not going to see anything change. This year, obviously, that's what they work on this offseason. That's what they work on with bringing in people in the portal. That's what they work on with the new class. That's what they work on with the freshmen who get a you know another full year in the system. It's it's leaders stepping up on this team to hold people accountable and creating consistency uh, across the offense and defense. Honestly, if there has been a unit for crazy off-the-field incidents that may or may not happen with the, court, court, uh, the special teams coach, if there's been a unit that's been consistent this year, it's been the special teams for Texas, and neither of the other two have been a hundredth as 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 consistent as as those two. I mean, it, there hasn't really been much monkey business when it comes to the special teams this year, and, and they've been consistent. So, last thing we're going to talk about for this game, Kyle officially shut the door on Pod Stradamus this week. He hit on one, and I missed on both. Uh, he missed on Texas scoring on the opening drive, but Texas did have at least two sacks. I had Xavier Worthy with two touchdown receptions. I feel like he dropped one, but that's fine. And Texas did not get a single stinking turnover. So, Tech Kyle officially has. One, Podstradamus, but we'll see what the final score is next week. Gerald, I'm willing to offer a a salvo. We'll talk about it in our Podstradamus for next week. I'm willing to offer uh, you to have three to, to give a chance that if you hit all three and I miss all three, I'm willing to state that here just to keep it, you know, keep it interesting. I, I'm willing to, uh, you know, I don't want this to be over, Gerald. I, this is the highlight of my week. We'll be back on Thursday with more than just Podstradamus, but we'll be back with a preview of Senior Day against Kansas State, and we'll also be back with some Podstradamus picks. So now's the part of the show where we cover all of the other things on campus happening, all the awesome players. And we down the 40 quickly. Texas volleyball number two in the country swept Kansas State again to finish with a perfect home record of 14 and oh, they're traveling to Lubbock on Saturday over the weekend, Friday, Saturday for the final match of the year. Well, the final match of the regular season for heading to multiple postseason tournaments. Number 12 women's basketball falls in overtime to number 16. Tennessee 74 to 70 Texas actually had a lead in the fourth quarter but was unable to put it over the edge both of those are really really good defensive teams but Texas was just unable to hold on late uh, and fell in overtime and again this is this is this could be a rematch that we'll see uh, late in the NCAA tournament here in a couple months yeah absolutely I mean uh, coach Schaefer's press conference I always love listening to him he's he's one of the most just frank and beloved coaches I've ever heard I really love listening to any any time he speaks but he talked to very earnestly and very openly about what this team did and didn't do and it was not an effort issue it was an execution issue it was you know various small issues but it was never at any point an effort issue Texas uh 
had their struggles in the first half, but also caused Tennessee struggles. It was basically a, a draw. Uh, and then they went up by as many as 12 in the third quarter, but just went ice cold, shot four for 22 in the fourth and put Tennessee on the line 20 times uh, in both b- between fourth quarter and overtime. And that's the difference in the game. They missed, were great for free throws beginning of the game. And then uh, in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden again with going cold, their free throws also went cold, missed some uh, crucial ones right at the end um, that probably wouldn't have needed overtime. But uh there was some some good, really elite individual play. Uh, Liam Mathieu, who's quickly becoming, you know, the kind of leader of this team, someone who committed, like we've said many times, to Mississippi State uh, to play under Vic, played a season there, and then transferred this year to Texas, has, has come on. And um, she just gets so hot at, at various points where she can't miss. And that third quarter run I talked about was basically, again, I think she had like 11 of 13 points on that on that run in the third quarter where they got the big lead, uh, but had a career-high 27 on only 18 shots, 5-11 from deep, 13 points in that third quarter. Rory Harmon, the, the freshman, notched her first career double-double with 10 points and a season first high. First of many. Yeah, I'm sure. I am sure. 11 assists. She gets rebounds too, so she could be a triple-double threat at one point. I hope she gets it. Uh, Joanne Allen-Taylor, 11 um, the Tennessee to their you have to speak had a player have twenty eight points and just would look great on offense and also had Tamari Key who's just a, a big stopper in the middle put up a triple double with ten points eighteen rebounds and ten blocks I'll say that again eighteen rebounds and ten blocks it's tough when when there was it looked like anytime Texas got in the paint they just kind of got scared and then if she wasn't there and Vic said it in his post conference they like freaked out and got nervous and just threw up a sloppy shot because she wasn't looming over them uh, but truly changed the game with her defense but again. A really good matchup between two really good teams that could have literally gone either way up until the last shot uh, in regulation. So, um, yeah, early season for a young team for Coach Vic. I think he'll take this as a learning moment and uh, coach on it for the second half of the season. We we prefer it to be wins with stuff to coach on, but this was an incredible performance on a national stage. And, and again, this is a team that deserves a national stage, and they'll continue to be on this national stage throughout the year, and they're going to make a deep run into what we can now call March Madness. Thank you, NCAA, for finally pulling your head out and letting the women uh, very deservedly use that moniker for their March basketball tournament. Number eight. Men's basketball at the Abe Lemon Classic uh, got the best of Northern Colorado, sixty-two to forty-nine, and then seventy-nine to forty-five over J- uh, San Jose State on Saturday. So a um, we're seeing the um, Chris Beard's penchant for not necessarily leaning into a difficult non-conference schedule but still a lot to coach in these big wins which again that's a thing we like well and it makes the the true big games kind of stand out obviously big 12 will be great i think big 10's making a case but right now it looks like big 12 yet again might be the best basketball conference in the uh in the country and um th- there's going to be good games but seton hall watch out for seton hall we we talked about in that conference uh game when they didn't get marquette we said oh well, they got seton hall maybe they'll be good seton hall now ranked they beat michigan um a good team there so that's uh, that's one coming up in a month but yeah in these first two games of uh, of the lemon party we had uh trey mitchell getting double you know uh, double digits in both games timmy allen uh as well uh texas forced 20 turnovers against Northern Colorado, 27 uh, against San Jose State, a season-high 16 steals in that uh, second game. Um, You're seeing an identity here, and as they hold these, you know, opponents who clearly aren't as as good as them under 50 points each match, uh, each game, you're seeing basically the identity of a Chris Beard team. They were up 
26, I think, and he uh, was shouting at Timmy Allen about his defense. You know, the Beard has a philosophy and identity, and it's not that dissimilar from what the women are doing with Vic Schaefer, that they want to cause some some ruckus and and, and put pressure uh, on ball handlers and jump passing lanes and, and you know, the no-middle defense that, that Chris Beard kind of when Mark Adams as well, to his credit, uh, Texas Tech that they revolutionized and now everyone's trying to copy basically. But they, nonetheless, the 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 key to it is is intensity. And I think both the the thing that I've loved is both Ramey and Andrew Jones have really stepped up on the defensive end as as kind of the guys who were here before, not the new guys, and are leading the defensive intensity charge. And I, I love to see that from both of those guys. Um, but the other thing I love to see Gerald is again San Jose State Brock Cunningham. Career high, 10 points, first time in double digits. He now uh, has more career points than fouls for a while. That equation flipped, uh, but <laughs> he, he got double digits in just 14 minutes. That's all he needed to get 10 points. So uh, excited for Brock, excited for the team. They they are they are coming together. They're they're learning. They're getting better. You know, I would like to see some good solid wins here for the next two or three games, and and just. No news is good news on this front. Keep it keep it easy. Nothing to shout about. For his efforts, Trey Mitchell earned the Phillips 66 Big 12 Men's Basketball Newcomer of the Week for averaging 15 and 7.5 rebounds in the two wins. Wednesday, they take on Cal Baptist. Gerald, some brief trivia on Cal Baptist. Did you know they that was the alma mater of Rick Warren? Oh, so after beating Oral Roberts as alma mater in in the preseason exhibition, Oklahoma Baptist, they're now going out to California getting Rick Warren. Do you know the uh, any guesses on the Cal Baptist mascot? Anytime I have no clue, I always go with the Tigers. Fair enough. That's I mean, that is probably I I would I would love to do some research on what the single most common is it's either tiger or generic bird of prey but um they are neither gerald these are the cal baptist lancers uh i didn't know that myself so don't feel bad i had to google it finally the number 13 men's cross country program and beth ramos from the women's side closed out the season at the ncaa cross country championships finished 14th which is tied for the best finish since 2013 uh yasin abdalia became the uh, 19th ever longhorn to win the ustf ccca that's the u.s track and field cross country coaches association <laughs> of america all of honor uh, all american honors uh boy my friend i love to make these jokes but half tonight uh was the ncaa south central regional champion uh finished just outside of the all american places but we love to see half doing big things and congrats for the cross country team on a successful Season not quite top ten Texas, but I will take top fifteen Texas. That's that's still very good. Not bad at all. But now it's part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? So Gerald, we talked a little bit about uh, how we didn't pass the ball well in this game. We we have had. Some good games. We've had some very bad games. Ultimately, we've had some unevenness in the the throwing department on the season. The one constant has been try to get into the hands of Xavier Worthy. But otherwise, there were some drops, as we mentioned, from receivers. There were some not great throws from quarterbacks. Uh, and, and basically, this is not lost on anyone, right? It, it Fans know it. I think... 
players know it. Uh, it seems the coaches know it. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian said in his, his Monday press conference that the 2022 job is considered open. And that means, to, to expound on that, that means both of the quarterbacks who are currently on the roster uh, and played this year, and also incoming freshmen who currently Malik Murphy is uh, committed in that class. They have mentioned uh, wanting to flip, uh, or I guess it, it is strongly rumored they have been trying to flip USC commit Devin Brown, and there has been strong utterings of a quarterback coming in in the portal. So it probably very much is open and and. Again, you look at this last week where we talked about Jared Dagey not being great, but on on eleven of only eleven of his forty four passes, which twenty five percent is a high number, were incomplete without a pass breakup, right? So just a pass that if it was dropped, if it wasn't you know, if it's a duck so bad the receiver couldn't catch it, if it was <laughs> overthrown, if it was missed, whatever, twenty five percent. Texas quarterbacks, fifty percent of their passes were not caught without a breakup. So that means either just missed it was dropped. It was, you know, thrown overhead. It was not put on the right spot, whatever. That's a lot when half your passes aren't broken up by a defender, but aren't caught. Um, and as we talk about recruiting quarterbacks and recruiting elite playmakers to go along with Xavier Worthy, a specific recruit who I won't name was quoted as saying, I feel like some stuff is about to change this offseason in regards to the quarterback position. So read into that what you may. We aren't in the, the business of purely speculating here, but uh, it will be open, it will be interesting, and it will be ultimately crucial to next year. So the next couple months will will have a lot to say because Steve Sarkeesian's offenses thrive with a quarterback who can make the right reads, put it in the spot when it needs to get there at the right time, and give receivers who are, who are the engine of his offense, the Ferrari-type players, a chance to go be big playmakers. And if you do that, it's funny how all of a sudden everything else starts working and Steve Sarkeesian gets to be the guy. It makes sense. You see the visibility of the reason everyone thinks he's one of the best minds in, in football today. Anytime we talk about quarterbacks and multiple quarterbacks, there's a gif of one of my favorite actors, like unironically, uh, Ken Watanabe from the Godzilla movie a few years back, where it's just him. It's a slow zoom in on his face, and he nods and says, let them fight. And he's talking about like Godzilla and other large monsters. And that's always how I feel about quarterbacks on campus. It's like, just bring them all in and let let God sort them out. Like that's fine. Like the, the, the cream will rise to the top and the best quarterback will win out. And that's kind of what has happened this year. Again, the injuries and all of that, but like the transfer portal is, is a thing, right? And that's fine. Like you're going to get guys in, you're going to get guys out and you can't be scared of that level of competition. That's how elite teams win. That's how at Alabama, Nick Saban pulled his senior starter for the upstart freshman and won a natty. LSU was one quarterback away from winning a national championship. Joe Burrow came in, had the greatest season in modern history, came in one year, blew it up, earned himself a Heisman and a national championship and a lucrative NFL contract. But, like, just bring them all in. Let God sort them out. That's how I feel about <laughs> quarterbacks. So I'm banging the drum this week on a different Steve Sarkeesian quote. And and this is one of the things that I really appreciate Steve Sarkeesian. And it, and it might bite him in the keister based upon the Texas media landscape. But he is just like, he is honest to a, almost to a fault. 
And part of it is is like somebody who's kind of seen who they are and knows who they are and like doesn't feel like they have to like put on airs uh, and do anything extra other than be themselves. And so they kind of asked him in his Monday press conference about the rebuilding process. Um, and he basically said that like the four most powerful words that I've ever heard somebody say is just like, I'm built for this. Like, I know it's going to be hard, but this is what I want to do. And that to me is the mindset and the attitude that I they're trying to instill in these players. And the players are going to feed off of that. And we saw an instance of Nick Saban a week ago talking to his players through the media, taking veil-thin shots at Keelan Robinson and Keelan responding on Twitter with just laughing, crying emojis, right? But, like, Steve Sarkeesian isn't just talking to the media to talk to the media. He's talking to the players. And with what he said, he said to his players – I'm willing to do the hard work. Are you? I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to gut it out because I know who I am. I know what I've got behind my rib cage, beating in my chest. I know who I am. Can you and will you go on a ride with me? And I talked about it a few weeks ago. Some of the players are going to eat that up and they're going to get on the bus and they're going to go. And some are not and they're going to leave. And neither of those is a bad choice because both of them make the team better. And you cannot fault either of those groups for making the best decision for them. Now, you and I have been accused a lot of being sunshine pumpers, and it's fine. We're naturally optimistic people. But hearing Steve Sarkeesian say things like that, not just to us in the media, but to his team through the media, gives me some pause, gives me some hope, and says, you know what? This guy knows what it takes. Now, if we can get out of his way as fans and as members of the media and let him do what we're paying him very handsomely to do, or the school is paying him very handsomely to do, set our expectations aside. Texas had two of the greatest quarterbacks in college football history and won one national championship and two conference championships. Let's set it aside, set our outsized expectations aside for a couple of years and let a really sharp coach who seems to know what he's doing do his freaking job because let's be honest, we all think we know better, but none of us actually do. That's it. You said it all. That's perfect. Uh, we are all armchair quarterbacks. We're all guilty of it, but the – the, the truth of the matter is the worst Division One college football coach has forgotten more about coaching college football. And I'm not saying anyone on this staff is the worst, but that person has forgotten more about coaching football than, than we will ever know. And that's just – that's how it is. That's what it is, the, the gap. It's like when Brian Scalabrini goes and plays street ball with some dudes who are pretty good <laughs> and beats yep. them 27 nothing. The gap between what these guys know and see and do and what we think and the, the, the outraged fans on message boards on Twitter uh, and, and in group texts across – the state of Texas uh, and, and America, you know, the, the gap between knowledge of those two is just, it is, it is immense. It is a, a, a cavernous uh, gaping chasm and it's okay. It's okay to have opinions and have thoughts and to want better, but you know, th these guys do know what they're doing and at least know <laughs> what they're doing more than, than, than all of us who, who aren't coaches of college football. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. I do want to pause as we talk about social media here real quick, Gerald, and, and give my tweet of the week. This isn't necessarily a recurring segment, but you cracked me up. It was I'll give all credit to Gerald who tweeted out on the play where three Texas players, uh, Hudson Card, <laughs> Junior Angelau, and, and Keelan Robinson all got hurt. Gerald tweeted out the, we got no food, we got no jobs, and our pets' heads are 
are falling off uh, from Dumb and Dumber. Uh, and I like I needed it in that moment. I was in a dark spot <laughs> with the game, and I, you know that tweet of the week, my favorite tweet of the week. It was it was beautiful. Kyle, I live by a philosophy of doing for doing for others what you want to do for yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I needed a laugh in that moment. <laughs> and so I was like, what's what, what's the funniest thing I can do? Uh, because you know what? We got to laugh to keep from crying at this point. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Gooders. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook up. Hook up. And our pet's heads are falling off. <laughs>